We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a It's the most horrible time of the year with the goals flying in over at Southampton and it happens each year. It's the most horrible time of the year. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. It's the worst Christmas tradition, going to Southampton and losing. But it's been a while since we lost. Going to be hard to know what to make of it. Thankfully, there are people who are smarter than me on the podcast. One of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause Into My Pants. Hello, Pause. Hello. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Good to have you both here. Uh, yeah, it's not the best occasion to have to talk about. Look, I am uh, I'm getting over it. I, I lost the run of myself briefly on Twitter. Not complaining, whining, or anything like that. Just with some issues that I saw uh, in and around the match. But I think overall, you know, the, the problem with a long, unbeaten run in Emery's first season is that it has raised expectations and understandably so when you are, you know, really in the top four hunt, which I, I would suggest we are still in and you haven't lost in 22 matches. Yeah. You're, you're going to expect more. And St. Mary's is a place where we've had bad memories. We were looking to you know sort of banish those ghosts and create a new story. There didn't happen. Uh, maybe this is our Christmas tradition. You know, there's so many good Christmas traditions. You might as well have a shit one, lose at St. Mary's, but uh, Paul, it starts obviously with the absence of the defenders. I mean, Mustafi and Socrates both being out in the same match, holding is gone. Uh, Kolasinac pulling up and not being available in this match, I think, wound up being a huge, huge problem, actually, bigger than maybe we would have expected. And it forced 
Emery to make some decisions that I don't know he would have made. What do you think about how he lined up? And for you, was it a back three or a back four? Because I, I have heard some people described as a back three. To me, it was Bellerin, Licksteiner, Koscielny, and uh, Monreal in a back four. But I'm curious what you thought of the decisions he made and, and how it was set up. Um, well, I certainly deluded myself that I was watching a match with a back three for uh, pretty much the first half till till uh, injuries forced the issue and and later on in the game we switched to a back four but that's just me what do i know um look on the plus side at least tim stillman will be happy that we lost a game yeah he's so, he, he likes spurs we'll get into that i mean now uh, i have that yeah, slated for a talking point we'll explain what we're talking good, about down yeah. the road so let's let's yeah, yeah. bottle up that humor mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh so at least somebody got something out of it um so, I mean, obviously the manager's hand was forced by all those change, changes to be made. And, I mean, they pretty much cast a shadow over um, at least the first half of the game. I think we kind of found a, a way of working in the second half. I don't really understand why we didn't start with a back four, to be honest. Forgetting tactics and whether you're playing home and away or whatever... Um, there was a time we were debating that we should switch to a back three because it suited the squad and the players we have. And it seemed to me like we had the squad and the players to play a back four and might have saved ourselves some some aggravation here. So um, that's kind of how I saw us lining up. I mean, again, a little bit, maybe a little bit of a surprise that Lacazette didn't start, though I think we talked about that after the Europa League game, but mm-hmm. there, are, there are ways of getting both attackers on the pitch, and we seem to give them more conniptions, more headaches when we had both players on the pitch, and we could have done that with two at the back, with a, a back four, or even there are ways of uh, contriving a back three with two strikers up front, but maybe starting a little bit more cautiously was the better plan on the day, but would have preferred. A, I think I would have preferred a back four and have uh, probably Koscielny and Monreal who've played together, um, giving us a bit more control. Of course, we were lacking a left back then, but you got Monreal, or we got you got uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles there. Yeah. Well, Clive, I mean, how, how do you see it? Do you see it the same way? Hey, uh, I can understand the decisioning. So let me see if I put myself in his shoes. Let me see if I can explain it to you. Right. So we all know the sort of different variables that we had to we had to overcome. Where right? we can list them, the injuries, we can list the returning from injury type players, and when you have players that are there on the team sheet, but they're coming back from long layoffs, they come in with a different sort of emotional connection to the game. So Koscielny, when he's sure of himself. He's very much a front-footed defender, really aggressive, makes quick decisions, and he just follows through on them. When he's not sure on himself, he's a little bit more hesitant. And when you haven't played for a while and the intensity goes up, the first thing that goes is your distances and decisions. And when you're not sure of your decisions, what you do is you step back. And when you step back and you're the line leader in the centre of defence, the other two centre-halves take their position from you. Right, so that means we create gaps, right? So Monreal, I must admit, I thought Shaka played pretty well. I thought he adapted to that position really well. And I think in a strange way, he could have been maybe our best defender on the day. But Monreal, I felt, probably would have preferred to have started as left centre-half. When you're just coming back in, 
you're now seen to be the proactive one. You've got to be the wing-back that's pushing on, running through lines. And I felt he was very passive, half and half. And he was giving Shaka a level of comfort, but not able to recover back into his hole. So he was there making Shaka think, well, he's around me. But really, he wasn't offering any protection. He wasn't offering the same outlet. And he certainly wasn't running through their back line, which makes Iwobi look better. And the one time he did do it, we scored from it. So I agree with you, Elliot. Kolasinic was a massive miss to our pattern of play offensively because he is very aggressive. He gets high early, sometimes too early, but he makes repeat sprints and we've become accustomed to that pattern over the last few weeks and I felt we really missed it on that side of the pitch. On the other side of the pitch, we were more normal on the right-hand side of the pitch. Again, Lichsteiner plays the right centre-half almost like a right fullback, so he, he goes up the pitch. So people who were saying we were playing the back four, I, I can understand what they were thinking, but what we were doing, I think one of the five was pushing up, pushing high, and the other four were remaining remaining behind. So I think it was quite fluid. But what you got to think about, the, the misses and the injuries and the returning injured players force other people to adapt. And I include the goalkeeper now, and I'm sure you'll get onto him, so I won't say it now. And I think that was a huge concern. And I think it, our backline positioning forced our midfielders to think about what they were doing and I just think we lost control at critical times and the fact we conceded three goals from crosses Southampton worked it out and just dropped the ball into the area of indecision and they literally scored three quite similar goals where we were forced to decide what to do forced to be dominant and and Koscielny to me a great defender was forced to actually not just return for the first Premier League game since May but he was forced to come back and captain the team and lead the defence with yeah. really no experienced partners. And I just think it was one one thing too many to deal with. If he had a Socrates and a Mustafi next to him, he would have jogged through that game so easily. But he had to not only look after himself, but look after everyone around him. And I'm afraid on the day he wasn't quite able to do it. Yeah, you know, you almost think maybe someone like Medley could have come in and, and started this match. I, I, I thought we were short one centre-back body back there. Uh, I mean, it's easy to say in light of the fact that they scored, you know, from from uh, crosses and, and balls into the box. But, you know, Paul, one of the stories of this match, and I don't want to beat him up. Look, Lauren Koscielny was drafted into this game in an emergency fashion. And I don't think anyone, Koscielny included, would have wanted him to have to start an away match in the Premier League after so long out in his situation, with so little time to get back into form, with no real center backs around him, um, you know, against a team that that had players that could give you trouble in the air and give you trouble on balls in the box. I guess the problem is I just thought he didn't look up to it yet. And this is a tricky one, right? Because, I mean, we could just say it's not worth analyzing Koscielny because of where he is in his recovery, but maybe just quickly how you felt watching him. For me, not even necessarily on the goals, just throughout. There was one time where he ran into Licksteiner because he just kind of lost track of where he was on the pitch and and what he was doing as he he was dropping off to defend uh, someone coming into our box. I I think he just looked really off it. I mean, for you, do you you think this was maybe a game too soon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who doesn't love Koscielny and doesn't pray he can get back to near his best... Is, is a monster, uh, yes. <laughs> is a bad person, a bad, bad man or woman. Um, 
And this was this was probably two games too soon for Koscielny. I mean, he's probably a pretty average centre back if he's not anticipatory, if he's not on his front foot, if he's not nipping in between other people, if he hasn't got a speed where he needs it to be. Um, and when you then look across the back line at all the other players who are, you know, he's got Chaka to his left, and Chaka's not quickest god bless him and he's not going to be any more front-footed if Kishelny isn't kind of leading the way um and we're just in a situation in which um it's not too surprising that they found all sorts of pockets of space that extra second or second and a half in front of our our uh our back three and uh, as you said you can't really criticize Kishelny. i mean he, he he was fodder to the cannons uh, did what he could, but you could see where a sharper, brighter Koscielny who's switched in. I think the other part is obviously he probably doesn't trust his body at all. I mean, when your your bloody Achilles just snaps on you, and you uh, anybody who didn't watch the documentary on him needs to go and watch it so you understand uh, what he's been through, but also how his body just let him down all of a sudden. So it's going to take him some time even when he's kind of back up to game speed to truly trust his body to throw it around. I mean, the heartening thing is he's back. He played 90 minutes. Um, He took a number of of, uh, crunching tackles and came through them and played on. So, um, you know, this is if he needed two games, there's one down, one to go. And uh, maybe maybe he'll get rested for the next game with Socrates and Mustafi coming back. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was what we didn't need, that our one centre-back was a guy who's basically been out for a year, and he was the guy setting the tempo at the back. So, you know, you can think of six or seven players in the back half of our field who, whose trust, tempo, timing, spacing is all going to be off for all sorts of reasons, including Koscielny just finding his way back. Yeah, and then look, I think it's pretty clear that um, we're going to need... Koscielny, because otherwise, you know, we have two center backs, two first team center backs. But I think, you know, playing him without either of those other two, without Socrates or Mustafi, that was asking too much. Um, and and ultimately, I would say that, you know, he he had moments where he did okay, but in the critical moments, you could still see the rustiness. Look, I, I, I always knew we were going to have trouble defending, given what our defensive lineup was, but Clive... I guess if you had to point to disappointment, it's easy to say when we scored two goals. That should be enough to win most matches against weaker teams. And on a day when they scored three, you'd think that the biggest issue would be defending. But considering the lineup, you know, you knew there were going to be some issues defending. What frustrated me was I thought we were pretty easily shut down too often by Southampton. I don't think we were particularly effective going forward. And once again, I think in the crosshairs, you have to look at, at Mkhitaryan and, and Iwobi for starters because I'm not sure either were that effective. Now, it's ironic. Look, Mkhitaryan had two goals <laughs> in a game where we scored two goals. So you got to be really careful how you analyze this. But I, I thought in the critical moments, once again, they were difficult to, to put your, your confidence in. They, they didn't look like they had the final ball. And, and it was Iwobi in particular that I thought really seems to be suffering. So for you, is, is, was that the area where the, the attacking play bogged down? Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. We're back to Danny Welbeck problem, right? Yeah. Danny Welbeck is a player. When you have your strikers, you've got 
three strikers for two positions when Welbeck's there. And he also is one of those inside forwards. So he, he offers you three for two in there as well. You can add Ramsey and Ozil into that position. So what happens, he's like a, a power surge. You always got power on the pitch. You've always got people going backwards. So without him, I think we are heavily reliant. I said this a while back on Mkhitaryan and Iwobi. So Mkhitaryan got a little bit of stick after, I think it might have become which game it was now, but he got a little bit of stick, I think. And basically... I, I'm a fan of his, and the reason why I'm a, more of a fan of him, or more patient, shall we say, is I think his worst game is not that bad. Right? So, and people focus, I think it was Bournemouth away where he, he had some sort of misses, but actually in that game he kept going and improved late on. And I, I think he's a player that we need to really hope kicks on because without Danny Welbeck we need some end product from Mkhitaryan I'm a little bit more concerned about Iwobi who again I watched re the highlights of the game today and Iwobi was in all of them but when I'm watching him I'm just worrying about his execution again I'm back to where I was in the middle of, the, of last season where I'm not sure what we're going to get when I see him leaning back on shots where I'm seeing beating people but not really confident of what to do the other side he is definitely a confidence player he's still giving us 7 out of 10 but without Danny we need 8s and we need goals we need goals from you and so the expectation has gone up right so this is all in the context of, of, of Danny Welbeck really and I felt what Emery had to think about in this game, he had to decide how he was going to play and where he was going to play. And by picking the back three, which I didn't disagree with massively, um, I think what he's saying is we're going to control possession, but we'll control it on our back line. So sometimes when we play the back three with what I call last year's players, we tend to pass laterally across our back line. We don't go forward quickly enough. We don't penetrate. Southampton, new manager syndrome, David Hasselhoff on the bench. Basically, he just decided to go and press our midfielders because we took time getting it in there. So we looked like last year's Arsenal because we weren't direct enough. And that means we had targets on our back for the press. In hindsight, I would have moved the emphasis of our game further forward, away from the areas where we had doubts. I would have played the two strikers. I would have gone back to front and I would have gone second ball just for today because this was a team that had doubts in its back line, lost four first choice defenders out of a back five and then lost a fifth one during the game. And that was just too many variables for the manager to manage. So you had to say, well, actually, we have got offensive talent. I need to get them all on the pitch. Forget my second half response. Forget saving legs in the second half. I'm going to make this lacking in confidence Southampton team second bottom in the league. I'm going to make them think about us and defending us. And... That's what I would have done. And I would have done that before the game. And I would have, I, I don't mind picking the back three, but I would have started Lacazette. I would have put the emphasis on them. I would have made them defend. And I would have made them defend their box a lot more. Because as soon as we won the ball, second balls, high press, in around their box, they suddenly looked like Southampton, where they are in the league. The moment we had the ball in the wrong areas and they did exactly to us what I would have liked us to do to them, and then suddenly they got emboldened, they scored very efficiently, and we were chasing the game for the next few minutes. Yeah, and I have to tell you, I mean, I, th I think it will be has certain sort of structural flaws in, the, in some of the things he does, and one of them is the way he strikes the ball. 
I mean, he leans back every time he kicks the ball, or he doesn't keep his eye on it, and he, he doesn't get the power on it. I, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, Paul, do you remember someone set him up in the box, left channel. He had a nice opportunity to just curl it in to the far side of the goal. I mean, under very, very little pressure, and he leans back. Obama Yang back Yeah, Obama Yang back healed it. And, it. and you could, what a lean, like you talked about it, Clive talked about it, but I mean, you just, to me, that's confidence. But he's always um, done that. He has always leaned back. His technique's wrong when he strikes the ball. Do you want me he to did explain that to you? time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal. Look. One <laughs> minute right. explanation. One minute explanation. What he's doing is, is I, I call it kid stuff, right? What he's doing is like a golfer. You want to watch your drive go down the fairway, right? The moment you get your head up too soon, you're in the trees. It's the same thing with a footballer. Footballers want to see their shot go in. So they don't look at the contact of the ball. They don't drive through the ball. They look up to where it's going to go. So they shape it to the top corner and they look at the top corner. And of course, as soon as you get your head up, the ball goes over because your body shape changes. It's a technique thing. I say to my own players, watch the ball right onto your foot and keep your head down and your body shape, your knee will change over the ball and it will go in. Don't worry about seeing it go in. Don't kick the case off. Just Focus on the contact and your natural power will take it where it needs to go. It's just technical, and he just needs to fix it because we've all seen it yeah. too much. And, 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 and what and, he and needs I just to do say, is train, yeah, right. mm -hmm. train with a, a blindfold on. Now, the coaching <laughs> staff won't listen to me, but I do it like a kung fu movie where I'd make him play. The, I mean, it'd be rubbish, don't get me wrong, for the whole game with the blindfold on. Uh, probably the ball wouldn't be anywhere near him when he's taking the swing, but eventually he'd start to make that connection, and then he'd have like a almost psychic understanding with the ball after a few training sessions. It's a great suggestion, and I, I just want to thank Clyde because not only is he giving us phenomenal uh, analysis of football, but he's fixed my golf game now, so that's good too. Appreciate that, Clyde. Uh, <laughs> no so, so Paul, I mean, let me ask you a, a general question, then just quickly, and then I want to get back onto a specific performance, but. Is Emery too conservative? I mean, if there's one thing Arsene Wenger really knew how to do, it was beat the piss out of the weaker teams. Now, again, look, we lost 4-0 at Southampton just a couple of seasons ago, I'm not, and, and we have a terrible record there, and most of it's Arsene Wenger. So I'm not saying that, that he was good at this, but what I'm saying is Arsene went for it against the lesser teams, knowing you need the three points against these lesser teams to, to finish top four and to compete for titles and things like that. I mean, is Emery maybe just maybe a little too conservative by nature with the way he sets us up against the smaller teams? I mean, he did go back three against uh, Huddersfield. It was a conservative approach. Now, we wound up creating the chances we need to to win that game and did win that game. But And I mostly didn't have a problem with that. But, you know, I'm starting to wonder, do you think he needs to just be more aggressive against teams like this and trust our attacking prowess to get us through? I think so. I think a little bit more aggressive. This is the one game I wouldn't beat him up over because we've been playing like this for a few games. He's he's missing so many people um, that he probably wanted to keep something the same going from game to game, even if the personnel don't actually do this job normally. Um, and to be fair, we had our chances. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, Obama Yang had... My hindsight's chances. like twenty forty. but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, that's good. Um so, you know, it's all after the case. The first half could have been quite different. Um, and our our faults and flaws, no matter what way he changed it around, they're probably short of having a back four. Um, we were probably always going to get caught in those pockets uh, where they were. 
with that style of game. So maybe it was just a damned if he did or didn't on this game. But I think in general as a, an approach and as a philosophy, um, especially now that we've we've moved to the back three, it seems a little conservative for away games against smaller teams or who are there to be had. It, it did feel like two strikers uh, and a more aggressive approach was the way to go or playing, now maybe there's a whole Ozil story, but m- maybe Ozil for the, to start in a more of a 4-2-3-1 um, to take advantage of all of that possession would have been the way to go too. But this game could have gone could have gone down very differently if we pressed the their players making the crosses and if we'd taken our chances so yeah well i look i mean i i think another hallmark of this game and i think it hurt us defensively was a lack of intensity in midfield to press you know we have not been a pressing team uh as you pointed out in the opposition half but where we have been a pressing team even in games where we're not technically pressing is in midfield. You know, players have not had the freedom to deliver balls into the box or, you know, through the back line because they've been under immense pressure once they get into our half. And I thought we really suffered there. For their second goal right before the half, Awobi and Guendouzi just totally switch off. And the ball is delivered from about 19 yards out. Now, look, it's a good delivery. It's a really nicely chipped header between two defenders. I mean, it... It, it, it's not like there was no skill required to make that goal. But that's the kind of thing that we haven't been seeing this season is players having that much space to operate. I thought Awobi really let himself down in that situation, not closing down, and Ganduzi to some extent too. So for you, Paul, I mean, is the breakdown defensively in this game more about a lack of intensity in the midfield uh, mm-hmm. to protect the back line? Yeah, um, there was a good section on uh, the breakdown. But in the first half, yeah, the, I mean, you just felt the, the midfield and the back line were adrift. And, you know, the midfield's kind of experienced at this point. So you wouldn't say it's all the midfield. Um, and I just think there were too many players who were off the pace, not in sync. And, you know, those pockets were there. I mean, uh, what's his face? Uh, was running at us all game. What, what's the name of the fella? Redmond. Uh, yeah, Redmond. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, th- that was not his first ball into trouble. I mean, he was he's basically running free across our defense for uh, the first half. We eventually got to grips with him. Um, and there was a whole... that Getting between the lines, I mean, there were a couple of lines between our, our midfield and our defense, and it wasn't just our midfielders. So... That's where the game was, from their side, that was the ge- where the game was won and lost. They had all the time in the world to pop in those crosses. Um, very hard to defend for defenders, especially if you're not fully physically there. So, yeah, and, uh, we were in trouble. And look, sometimes a goal is just a goal, right? I mean, there are times when, like, funny yeah. thing is... The second times, one in particular, yeah. Well, the first one, I don't know what we're supposed to do differently. I mean, maybe Bellerin can get closer to not, to, to not allow the cross, but he's pretty close that cross is sensational, and it's yeah. met by the perfect header. And, I, you know, there is always this presumption that if someone has scored against you, you've made a mistake. Now, all right, sure, somewhere along the buildup, by even letting them have the ball, you've made a mistake, I guess. But I don't know what else he's supposed to do there. Look, the issue— I, I, think the, I, I was thinking about that too, Elliot, and I think part of it is psychological. You see them, the initiative so that they're confident and so that we're a little half-step off, and— you know those goals were were in were 
felt like they were coming. They just had too much time too often. So, of course, you're going to get off the perfect cross because you're now assuming you're going to have the time and space. And, hey, presto, you get it. So, uh, I think in an ordinary game, a more typical game, we got them a bit more rattled, a bit more pressed, and a bit even in the situation where they have the time, they don't th- they don't expect they're going to have the time. And I think we just ceded the initiative far too often. Yeah, and and look, we're gonna we're gonna come on to the subs. We're gonna come on to the big issue of of Mesut Ozil and Ramsey too, because I think they have to be discussed a little bit. But before we do, and before we take the break to hear from Scott, there's one one thing I guess we can get to now, Clive, because you mentioned it already. That's uh, the keeper. So, you know, Leno is is really coming in for a lot of criticism in this game. Now, look, I think on the first goal, there's nothing he can do. On the second goal, I'm not sure there's anything he can do. On the third goal, he flaps at it, and it's bad. Uh, what I think people forget is he had made a save just minutes earlier than they scored on an offside goal. Remember, they got the goal disallowed. Yep. The save he makes before that is stunning. It really is an extraordinary reflex save. I mean, he made... Maybe he wasn't brilliant in this game, but I'm not totally sure why he's come in for so much criticism. Now, for the third goal, I want to ask you a question. If he stays on his line, that's a goal, right? I mean, he, he can't save that staying on his line. He tries to get there, and he doesn't. I mean, am I being too too easy on him? Is, is the issue that he no. doesn't get there, and he should? Because if he stays on his line there, I don't see how he saves that. Right, so this is where, when you lose players, you have to look how it affects other players. Right, so you can ma- you can imagine the team talk here, right? We've just lost two major centre halves. Sorry, three of our first choice centre halves in the back three, and we've got a guy coming back after being out for seven months, and he's in our defence, and we've got a aged fullback and a centre midfield in our defence. I guarantee you, the manager said, "I want you to be aggressive today. Come out and help out our centre backs. We're not going to be strong in the air. I want you to come for everything." Right, so that's what I mean about he hasn't done this for a while. He wasn't doing this with um, Socrates, Mustafi, and Holding. So you're thinking he's obviously had a change of instruction. This is what I mean about when you lose people. Sometimes you lose people positionally. Right, we lost Shaka in centre midfield, and he had to do something else. But also other players adapt. So maybe Monreal wasn't as aggressive as I'd expect him to be because he's staying close to Shaka in case he gets caught and isolated. You know, maybe Bellerin wasn't as aggressive as we normally see because he's looking after thirty-eight-year-old Lichtsteiner, or however old he is. Right. So, 36. and this is what this is what happens it's when about 45, you make changes. I think, yeah. mm-hmm. This is what happens when you make changes, right? Things Other people adapt. And so if, if Leno made a mistake, he, he it's all about decisions, right? He comes out aggressively, has to go back. If you watch where he recovers to, he recovers to the near post. And maybe he recovers too far over on that side. So when the cross comes in, his starting position wasn't quite accurate enough. And, you know, another foot, another another inch, and he gets that ball, right? So do I blame him? Yeah, I blame him because he didn't quite get there. Do I understand it? Yes, I do understand it. I've seen some other games recently where I've been more concerned about him. Yep, totally, just looking totally at him, agree with that. Yeah, I think I've he's slapped lo- worse on crosses yeah, and things like that in previous games. But, Absolutely. And I've also looked into his face and I've seen... I've seen a goalkeeper maybe just losing a, a touch of confidence. I'm thinking, okay, you're not quite sure of yourself. In this game, I always say to someone, if you make a decision, go for it. Make it. 
Be confident about it. I bet you inside of the club, they're not overly concerned about that because at least he's been decisive. It's when you're not decisive and you don't back your decisioning, that's when people start to worry about you. And you also made you made a fantastic save in this game, which would have been a highlight reel, but because it's this last goal, it sort of it yeah, disappeared from view. Yeah, under the radar. View. Yep, good point. Yep. Yeah, it mm-hmm. disappeared from view. So I get it. I understand it. I am loath to be conclusive about any of these players, given their returning from injury state, given the, the state of our back five. In the end, we had nothing of the back five, that, apart from a goalkeeper, that played versus um, Spurs, which was uh, the season's highlight. Right. So, so what, what do we expect? Do we expect perfection? The only way I said earlier, the only way we can get, we'll get away from this is, is to do a Spurs, actually. Don't play near our goal. Just do some, uh, our playing strategy needs to change. Don't play near our goal. Be prepared to give the ball up and take it off them rather than try to progress to play like we did and create targets on our back. And I think we suffered for that, especially early on. Yeah, okay. Uh, Paul, do you, do you want to add anything on there? You said you did and then you said you didn't. Now I'm totally confused. <laughs> so, I mean, do you or don't you? <laughs> uh, Clive kind of covered my material. I guess I'd add, uh, if he's a, if he's your defense lawyer, Clive, in a murder trial, uh, I'm feeling really good on his defense of Leno for murder there. And then at the end he says, sure, he may have committed other murders in previous games but anyway that's not what's on trial i mean let's face it that's yeah, we're that's not true. trying those uh, you know this is not, not double jeopardy look i, I uh, do think we could we could uh, what we really ought to do with leno in training is uh, put a blindfold on him so that he senses the- okay we're gonna take a break and <laughs> um, let's let's do this we've got scott uh coming up with a, a quick quick statistical look at the match and then we'll get back into some of the issues towards the end of the match the subs um ozil's performance what we think of the the loss in the context of the season and, and what it means for emery and whether he should be sacked before christmas or not so we'll get to all that um let me ask you this paul are you going to be back after the break uh, I got about seven minutes. So, yeah. All right. We'll stick around for a little bit. All right. We're going to take a break, tell you about some lingerie, then talk to Scott, then come back with more after this. Okay. It's time to tell you about our friends at enclosedlingerie.com. That's enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, lingerie, L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, enclosedlingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month, but every month you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship. That doesn't happen on its own. It takes time, it takes energy and effort, and this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee, so size will never be an issue. And you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married. I have a toddler. um, I have a great relationship with my wife. But I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on, especially as time goes by and your family grows. So this is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift, and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now, enclosedlingerie.com, and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. 
Okay, we're back, and now Scott is with us. You can find Scott on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. Yeah. Uh, you snuck it in under the wire. Um, okay, so we're going to get to the game. We'll get to what went wrong statistically against Southampton, but the first thing we're going to do, uh, Scott, let's get really granular for a second and do a very, very deep dive on Bate Borisov. So tell me all the statistics you've got on Bate Borisov. Um, no, I'm kidding. That's a joke. don't have it handy. You, <laughs> you, you can kind of throw, throw, in that, throw in that one at me. I mean, I could go look up the, no, the Europa no, League stats that no, I had. Don't care. Don't care. Nope. It's all right. I was just kidding. We don't need to know about the Belarusian Giants bate just yet. We've got time for that. But uh, what we do want to talk about is what went wrong at St. Mary's again. Um, so, yeah, not a great match. As far as the XG, how did it come out in your model? Um, so I had it um, Arsenal 1.7, uh, Southampton 1.4. Uh, the shot placement part really shows the the difference. So Southampton really uh, placed their shots well. They had 3.3 and 1.4 for Arsenal. Yeah, yikes. Okay, well, I mean, they uh, they also had a couple big chances. I mean, for you, statistically, is the story of the match our inability to defend? What statistics jump out at you from that aspect and, and maybe individual errors as well? Um, to me, the biggest thing is the inability to create. Um, you know, I figured with the defensive crisis, defending was going to be hard, especially with at times it looked like Arsenal were playing a, a back one. Uh, they only really had one true center back out there. So I can kind of excuse a little bit of the defending. But when you're going to come out with that kind of a defense, I think your best defense is to attack. Um, and really push back the opposing team and not give them as many chances as possible to attack you. So I think that is probably the the more inexcusable part with just how little Arsenal created, especially in the first half. I thought that that was, was pretty poor for them. And do you have sort of like an observation about who struggled the most? I mean, to me, this looked like a, a bad Awobi Mikatarian game. Now, ironically, look, Mikatarian scored two goals, the first one quite brilliantly taken, the second one quite lucky. But, you know, I... I thought Awobi in particular was poor again, and I'm starting to wonder, you know, if his if his role in the team, especially as the starter on that left um, left wide forward position, is in jeopardy. I mean, how did his game look statistically? Again, I don't think this is a, a good one, and I think that this is missing a player like an Ozil or even a Ramsey in this. It's it's so hard, I think, to go in to another game where you have three holding midfield players and. We're just really missing that creative force because I don't think that that's going to be uh, the strength of Torreira, Guendouzi, or Xhaka. You know, they're not going to be that guy who pushes up a little bit and is able to find space between the line to be able to create for our forwards. It is asking a lot to do for a Wobi um, or a Mikatarian because, you know, they are also asked to play wide and, you know, interchange with the fullbacks. And we don't have a person central to be able to kind of fill the spaces or create overloads when they move on to the side. I think that's actually one of the things when Mesut Ozil came on in the second half, um, he was doing that a lot better, being able to come in and kind of interchange, find space. Um, And he actually... (laughs) So Arsenal really struggled getting the ball into the box. And it really wasn't because Southampton were sitting deep. They just really had trouble connecting the the mid-third to the final third. Um, Mesut Ozil comes in and, you know, he has 20 minutes of play. He actually comes in and he's the, the second highest in um, completed passes into the box on Arsenal, which is quite bad, um, especially for the other who, um, players. Who, who was the leader in that? Uh, Pierre-Emerick Pierre Aubameyang with three out of six into the box. Interesting. Which is, okay. you know, not exactly what you want from your center forward. You want him uh, there, you know, connecting. Um, Mkhitaryan also had three. So both of those players led the team. 
what was Aubameyang's XG like? I mean, he he did have chances. Some would say he missed. I would say that you know he he made the most of certain situations. I thought the ball over the top was it from Genduzi that he pulled down with one touch and then fired into the keeper. I, I thought he did well to pull it down and get it get a shot off. But he did have chances. I mean, what did his XG for the game look like? Let me switch over to that real quick. Um, sure. Yeah, that pass from Guendouzi was was very good. Um, so let's see. I had him here at the dead space. No one will be admitted during this silence. This is the silence of 0. a man. 0.95. 0.95. Okay. So, I mean, almost one XG for the match. For exactly. Him. So, yeah, he had the the one big chance um, from the through ball. Um, Guendouzi, that's a .42. It was a really good save, um, I thought. Um, by the, let's see, who is that? Uh, McCarthy there for uh, Southampton. Um, and then he had another really good chance uh, at the 80th minute um, that was a, a point three, um, And then he had a, a point one seven chance, you know, from uh, the center of the box that was not bad. Um, you know, that was another one that was following a through ball that was a, a point one seven. So he had three good chances. And, you know, I would have hoped that he would have been able to finish them. But I think that this is, you know, we got him finishing so well earlier where, you know, I think he was like 10 for 10 on his shots on target, finding the back of the net that, you know, it was it was unexpected or you, know, you couldn't expect that to continue going forward. Um, so today was just, you know, the, the negative variance bit back. Yeah. What about I mean, as far as building the play, you know, I thought Shaka suffered in this game from having to play parts of it in central defense and, you know, certainly parts of it just firefighting a lot, playing a little bit deeper. I mean, did we. Did he was he able to progress the ball the way he normally is? How was his offensive value added? And in general, how did the midfield, as far as you're concerned, work in that department? So he actually, you know, looked pretty good in his ability to actually pass the ball. He didn't have as many mistakes um, as he normally did, which I actually thought was was kind of nice. He didn't really have any of those big head scratching uh, balls that he just mishit. Um, so this one, I had him at uh, 0.26 um, overall for um, offensive value added, which was. Uh, one of the better um, numbers on the day, uh, Mateo Guendouzi was second, um, follow, and then Pierre Abramiang was first. Um, a lot of that comes from his shots that he was able right, to get of off. Um, let's see how we look in the the passing over here, and let's see, Jacka. Uh, uh, he was, yeah, he really didn't um, do a lot into the, the final third entries. Um, but I think that was more of his, you know, seeing a little bit deeper. He was only seven um, of 12 in this match with Guendouzi, um, you know, six of nine. So really, I would have liked to have seen, you know, up or, you know, get into 10, 12 range, especially with how much of the ball that Arsenal had in this match. So I think that was something that was really missing in this game. So when when you look at it just statistically and, and you say, OK, we, we struggled to create chances, our midfield wasn't. You know, providing as much uh, into the final third for the, the attacking players to link on to. One thing that we've been doing a lot this season is building through overlaps in the wide spaces. And I thought we missed Kolasinac on the day. Uh, you know, Bellerin came off. Do you see, you know, a lack of access to wide spaces and a lack of overlaps in, in the data as maybe something that we can look at as as where our attack may be short-circuited? Yeah, and I think that is something, um, you know, Nacho is a little bit older, um, doesn't have quite the same uh, attacking impetus that uh, Kolasinac has, so I think that was definitely missed, um, especially Licksteiner, he definitely plays a more conservative role um, over what Bellerin did, so when that switch was made, it definitely hurt our ability to play wide. Um, the thing that was actually really interesting to me is that just how few of our total touches came in the final third. 
Um, so Arsenal, um, you know, more than doubled uh, the number of touches Southampton had, but only 14 percent um, in the first half of the Arsenal's touches came in the final third, which is quite surprising and, you know, really, really shows how much they struggled to actually progress the ball. Um, where you look at Southampton, where they were able to get 33 percent of their overall touches into the final third. So a lot better of just cutting through Arsenal's midfield, even with the, the three holding players or, you know, I guess two and whatever Xhaka was asked to do in this weird makeshift defensive line formation that Arsenal had. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always going to be a little bit difficult when you've got players playing positions that are unfamiliar to them, and then another defender comes off and they're playing positions that are even more unfamiliar to them. Lacazette came on. You know, I don't think he was really able to influence the play that much. You touched on Mesut Ozil. Um, as far as those two, you know, statistically, did, did Lacazette really add anything to the game or did it pass him by a little bit? Um, I think that he... It was pretty much a, a non or an incomplete, I guess, if you were going to give it a grade. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really do a, a ton, but at this point, you know, Arsenal didn't do a ton um, in that second half, even though they were they got their, their goal. But after that, there wasn't a, a whole lot to be said for the team. What about uh, Ozil negatively? I mean, I, you mentioned that he actually was one of our better uh, final third and, and penalty box entry players for the game, even in a short cameo. But a lot of people were frustrated with his performance. Um, in terms of you know what was just seen as sort of a lack of pressing intensity and and uh, looseness with the ball, I mean, is there anything that he did statistically that stands out at, at you as being unozel like? Yeah, he was pushed off the ball um, a little bit too much for my liking. Um, let's see, I have him with a, a dispossessed value lost of negative point one, um, so that's something that you know you definitely would prefer to not see. Um, and let's see how many overall he lost the ball. He was dispossessed uh, twice overall in the game. So, you know, not a, a ton, but they were in um, decent spots to where um, Southampton were able to uh, counterattack a little bit easier. So I would have liked to see more of that. Um, and, you know, I think there was a couple times where he was looking to, to draw a foul and just wasn't given it by the ref, which is something that I would have, you know, hoped to see, you know, given. But this is the Premier League where things are, are given away, you know, or no fouls are given often yeah yeah well I guess overall just you know not a great day for anyone I don't think there's any player you're going to point to and say he had a fantastic game amidst what was a disappointing result and you know this was always a possibility but now I think we have to turn to the model uh not like a you know a sexy lingerie model for example who uh, buys his or her lingerie uh enclosed lingerie.com but instead uh to the model for top four and you know, Spurs pull out a very, very, very late three points against Burnley, dropping points to Burnley at, quote-unquote, their home stadium would have been fantastic for us. But alas, it did not happen, and the results this weekend did not go in our favor. Um, you know, Combine that with Chelsea having beaten City the week before. It's, it's not great, I'm sure, for the model, and these drop points can't help. We had clawed ourselves back into sort of a coin flip position for top four. How's it looking now? Yeah, I was really happy to, to kind of see things moving in that direction after last weekend. Um, you know, the model was actually even starting to, to like the way that Arsenal's performances were going because, you know, the defense seemed to have gotten a little bit better. So they were moving up in the rankings a lot closer to, to Chelsea and Tottenham. But so they went from just over 52% uh, last week down to 35% this week. So that was a, 35. a killer. Mm. Yeah, so that was a killer loss. So that was one that... 
Um, Arsenal were, were defending almost two expected points and to come away with zero um, is quite bad. Um, the big move was Chelsea's win against Manchester City. That really helped them. Um, so now they have a, was it a, a four-point gap at the, the uh, head of Arsenal now? Yeah, that's not great. Uh, actually, Chelsea have a three-point gap, right? Three points, okay. Plus yeah, goal three points. Yep. Yeah, three points. Oh, so basically three and a half points because I don't know if Arsenal are be able to make up the seven-point goal difference. You know, that's a hard one to, to make up. But yeah, so it's basically three and a half points. And and let's see, so they're uh, five points behind Tottenham too. So that's, you know, a pretty good hill to climb. And so it'll take, you know, one game at a time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's literally the only way you can play them. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Scott, I really appreciate it. And hopefully... Uh, when we come back after the next match, which I guess is League Cup. What a tricky one, right? I mean, you, you wish this match wasn't coming up or that it was something we could take less seriously, but it's another derby, maybe at the wrong time. So we'll see. Hopefully we'll have something more uh, upbeat to discuss. But in any event, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. And Scott, I assume when we talk to you next time, uh, you will have all of the Bate Borisov data at, at your fingertips. Oh, I'm going to be ready to deep dive into to Bate. Can't wait. Well, you will master the Bate or master, uh, you know, there was no good way to execute that. And it's too obvious and I'm not going to do it anyway. So forget it. Forget it. I know that's what you come here for is me doing bad masturbation jokes and things like that. I'm not doing it. In any event, Scott, I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. We're back, and uh, in the last few minutes, the dying moments of Paul's availability, we will go to him first, uh, despite your eagerness to hear from Clive. So it is what it is, dear listener. I apologize. Um, Paul, let's let's come on to the subs. One of them is enforced right after halftime. We lose Mm -hmm. Bellerin, and Emery's quote about it was, I I don't know, I was like feeling very, very confused by it emotionally. It, It was a wild ride. It was sort of like, it's just a little injury. He'll only be out for a few weeks. <laughs> so, like, yeah, the, the, the start of the sentence didn't end the way I hoped it would. I mean, just real quick, your thoughts on how he reacted to the Bellerin injury and what you think it could mean for us. Uh, well, I think it's bad. It's very, very bad. Um, we have, you know, we rely on width on the full backs, uh, the wing backs, and, you know, Kalasinac's well, he's injured already, but Kalasinac's fitness and injury record is bad. So basically, we rely on Bellerin, uh, who's been a constant. Now, being out for a few weeks just means we'll miss the whole entire Christmas and New Year's. So that's not too serious or anything. Um, it might demand a new lineup and a new formation, because I don't know where we're going to get our width from. We might just have to do something quite different. Uh Monreal had a good game when he got forward in this. Uh, he had the cutback cross for Mkhitaryan, but he, these days he doesn't get forward enough. And if he does, I don't know if he can get back. So it's it's very worrying. Um, there's no two ways about it. And unless uh, I was a little disappointed again in in Ainsley Maitland Niles, who we all have deep high hopes for. I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and you just want him to come on and stake a claim. Uh, I mean, this was a game where we're really calling for somebody to do something, to step up, and he's got all of the physical attributes. Um, and between not really doing anything and then just body language not really looking like he was about to do something, and one shouldn't get carried away on body language. 
Um, he's really this is his time. This is his opportunity. That was a game where he could have come on and staked a claim for twenty minutes. I'm not blaming the guy, but geez, that's your moment, man. Uh, you'll yeah. get, you'll probably get a couple more. You gotta step up. And and Clive has made this point before. You know, with young players, sometimes it's a two week injury absence that gives you a window to come into the team and stake your claim and become part of the first team and build your career from there. And so this is the start of it. I mean, Bellerin's going to be out for a bit. He comes on. And I, I thought it was underwhelming. Clive, I guess the question is, based on his cameo and, and Bellerin's absence, do you think he will continue to get chances in that position, or do you think Emery will go another direction um, You know, when he's got Socrates and, and Mustafi back in the lineup? I think he needs to be trusted. I think um, I went to the carrier bag game last week and he started off left back and then he went to like the right wing, sort of Mkhitaryan type position. And when he went on his right foot, he looked completely different. My issue with him is he's, he's another Bob Marley player, right? He's a bit cool for school. He jogs around and says, I've got this, I've got this. I actually think he's a sort of player that finds football almost too easy. He honestly can do anything, and he just does not get it out of himself. So he lacks a bit of proactiveness. And suddenly, if you look at his best games, they've been against the hardest teams we've played. So he's done really well against Liverpool, for example. Right. So the harder the game, the better he is. In what I call games where I feel he can coast, I think he'll coast. Why? I think because he can do it. He can do most things. He can't be outrun going backwards. If he puts his foot down, he can't be outrun. He's got tricks coming out of his neck. He's got moves going both ways. We developed him now with two feet. He has got everything on paper. But what he hasn't got is what Guendouzi's got. That ability not to let the moment pass him by. He says, give it to me. I want it. I want to run this team. I want to take responsibility. I'm going to show you I can own the center of this pitch. I actually think Maitland-Niles has got as much technical ability, more physical ability, but he hasn't got that gene that says, I'm the man. Right, so, and this is why I would try him right now in wider areas. I will continue that experiment in wider areas. When the ball comes to him, he can play in spurts. I have hopes for him in centre midfield, but unless you've got that, I want to demand the ball, Gene. You're not going to do that for Arsenal. Not in a two-man midfield. You in a three-man midfield where we can afford you to knock off and recover and fill holes and drive forward, much like Oxlade Chamberlain did. Then yeah, we can carry you, but that situation is not worked out for him yet so for me you're right his moment is now it really is now over christmas he needs some big minutes but the moment he does it we will eulogize over him again but he needs to do it shortly yeah and by the way i I should clarify i mean he wasn't taken uh he wasn't put on right after bellerin came out by the way obviously i mean lacazette comes on and we changed uh our shape and he came on a little bit later but still i I agree with that entire assessment just wanted to clarify that point paul before you leave a final thought on maitland niles yeah he talked recently about the manager coaching him and what he learned from him and you compare it against uh, i don't have the words in front of me but you compare it against say emil smith Rowe or any of the other players and he's so kind of luke lukewarm about it I, i came away from reading that interview thinking well, he's not getting a very strong buzz here from Unai Emery's encouraging. It was very kind of, you know, I'm working with the manager and 
I'm like learning stuff and I'm getting some coaching. So we'll see how it comes along. And you listen to all the other guys and it's like, oh, I'm a sponge. I'm learning all this stuff. It's great. And I don't know if that's a reflection of the fact that he's not getting a real warm vibe off the manager um, or it's just his, as Clive said, his uh, Bob Marley slow to warm slow to show i'm sure he's full of all sorts of emotions but he doesn't he's not a guy who projects them and at the moment he's not channeling uh, channeling it on the pitch and this is his time this is his hour for this season um it's he's he's got a clear run if he grabs it um but he didn't grab it yesterday no that's for sure pause on twitter pause in my pants thanks pause bye guys bye clive um, now we can get down to the real football chat. Uh, so, you oh, shoot, Paul was still on. <laughs> Bye, Paul. <laughs> you backstabbing weasel. You. Oh, he's gone. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. That's really weird. Paul's gone. Um, okay, Clive. Uh, before we get to the subs, you know, one of the debates that's go- always going to be had at Arsenal as long as we have Aubameyang and Lacazette, and one of them starting and one of them isn't, is the performance of one or the other. So it will not surprise you to hear that I actually thought Aubameyang was one of our better players on the day. I thought it was one of his better all-around games. Uh, he created some opportunities. He created the one for Awobi that we mentioned where he, um, you know, blazed it over. He had good chances. I mean, the Ganduzi long ball, and, and I think Ganduzi deserves a little credit in this game because from a creative standpoint, I think he did well. I'm not I'm not sure he did so well defensively and with his intensity, you know, in, in following two, his man two, in the field. The two are linked. The two yeah. are linked with Ganduzi. Well, yeah, but so, so, I mean, that ball over the top early, that Aubameyang takes down with one really fantastic touch after running in behind and then fires into the yeah. keeper. I don't know that he can do much better there. He doesn't have time, and it's a great touch to pull it down. I mean, how do you feel yeah. Aubameyang did? He had another hat full of chances again, one XG on the day, no goals on the day. I mean, it, are you viewing it through the prism of missed chances or through the prism of good involvement? I thought I agree with you. I thought it was one of his best games. I thought he was all over the front line. I thought he worked really hard. I thought he worked back. He ran from deep. He was in the box. We know we know what he can't do regarding holding the player, but I thought he gave a really strong physical performance. I, I look at him and I look at us offensively and I see that we're I just get this feeling that we're creaking. We're not at the top of our curve. I feel that physically we're just a half a yard short there was a couple of instances when he's sprinting after the ball if he's really sharp he gets there half a yard quicker then he can dink it you know and he can dink it over the keeper but he's getting there just a fraction late and that tells you he's a little bit tired he started a number of games recently and we i know you wanted him to start but this is the, this is what happens when you're when you're not rotated that little bit of sharpness goes your decision goes you end up in collisions you end up injured end up going in with the goalkeeper you end up putting your foot wrong after a header and landing awkwardly. And that's how you get injured. And that's why he's been rotated. So we may be, I'm looking at him and I want them both to start. I also want us to get through this December in shape because the next few league games are winnable. And to do that, we need them both, right? So maybe it is time for Lacazette to start versus Burnley. And funny enough, Lacazette's been a little, had a few more half games and he looks as sharp, if not a little bit sharper. And, that, and that's all it is. I keep going back to the Danny Welbeck factor. If we could have shared those minutes with Danny Welbeck, we lose no power and speed, but we get more Aubameyang and more Lacazette because they're fresher and more able to go and do their thing. Right. Well, so, well, let me ask you that. I mean, is it time for the if if we keep coming back to the Welbeck fa- uh, Welbeck factor? Is it time for Emery? 
to maybe go to emergency plan C and say, I'm going to give a Bukayo Saka or an Eddie Nketiah a shot in a meaningful game because more than anything, I need someone with hard running, someone who can drive a man back, someone who can create space on the ball. I mean, you know, we're seeing that we're lacking a little of that spark. There's a lot of games. Does he have to maybe dip into his bag of tricks a little bit? I, I think he has to. But you know what, Elliot? I would do something else. I would play Mesut Ozil higher up the pitch. Wait, who? Uh, <laughs> I, I, Our I, highest I would, earner at the club? Play him? Well, if, if, he's, uh, if, he's, if, he's on, if he's on, if he's part of the show, which is performance, I'm not sure it told us that. But let's move past that because uh, I'm not sure if Mesut Ozil is a substitute. Uh, I just I think he finds it beneath him. I think he showed that when he came on. But let's just I'm not going to put any blame on him. But if I'm thinking I want to play two strikers, just play Mesut Ozil up front. Just play him up front as a second striker and share the minutes that way around and, and keep your two strikers fresh. We haven't got to go to a young Eddie Nketiah who, who I feel if he is going to play, he needs to play in a wide position where, again, he can show his individual ability without having to lead the team as an 18, 19-year-old. I think it would be too great. The young 17-year-old is great, right? He's coming, Saka, he's coming, and that's the end of that. We can all see, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I, I don't like it when people own young players. Oh, I've seen him, I've seen him, I've seen him. Well, you know what? We can all see him. He's coming, and he and he's he's got great power and speed, acceleration, and and tricks off the first touch. And he can play both sides. And he can play left back. So that boy's going to be, when you're a scholar, when you come to Arsenal and you sign your scholarship as a 16 year old, you normally get your pro contract in the second year, normally around Christmas. Arsenal signed him almost immediately in in the first year as a pro. And that tells you they know what they've got. And they signed a young goalkeeper, very tall young goalkeeper from an African descent. They signed him in the first year. And they are the two stars of this scholarship group. So he is a he's a player that's coming. And um, But I, I wouldn't like to burden him with that responsibility. It w- would be nice to have a, a little bit of a, of a Reese Nelson maybe. But again, development of that player is important. And we'll hopefully get to see him next year. But I would... Definitely start to think about using Meza Ozil to share those minutes right. as a forward, you know? Well, so let, let's come to it then. I mean, this was a bad Ozil performance. It was an uninspired Ozil performance. He did not look committed. I mean, look, he had one really good moment where they nearly tricked their way through, um, where there was a lot of really clever play. But other than that, it didn't happen for him. And, you know, I really am starting to believe, Clive, that, you know, looking at the way Wobie's playing and looking at the way Mkhitaryan, who, again, scored two goals and, and did some hard running, and he's he's got that. I, I, I don't think you could say over the last few games he's been particularly at the top of his game. I just look at Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil, and I say these are two of the most talented players at the club, and they are essentially frozen out at the moment. They say, well, with Ozil, it's yeah. an injury thing, and I, I get that. But is the story and we, of the and we, season... And we don't know the reasons why. Do no, we? no, 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 of course, but... I guess my point to you is, look, with this many fixtures coming up and with that much talent sitting on your bench, not starting, does Unai Emery have to find a way to get, you know, Ozil and Ramsey on the pitch contributing for for us to really get through this period successfully? And let's be fair to him. He was doing that with Ramsey, using him in half games, and he turned the North London derby until he got injured again, right? So he wasn't benched because he he wasn't, in favour, he was benched because he was injured, right? With Ozil's injury, 
I believe he was injured. Some some people don't, right? But he's been not been available for a few games and was left on the sidelines. Personally, we've got so many games coming up in the in the month of December, and I think we've got eight game eight or nine games in January to play if we go through on um, on a Wednesday night versus Spurs, right? So we're going to need these players, right? Or we're going to need to make a decision on them. If they're not part of this, we need to replace them in the January window. But they're there now, we, I mean, right? I mean, that's the point, Clive. Yeah. Right? They, they are there now. Like, there was a point when we weren't able to find our way through Southampton where I'm looking and I'm saying, Aaron Ramsey and, and Mesut Ozil are on our bench for a Premier yeah. League game away where we're struggling to create. And I just couldn't help thinking, I like Alex Iwobi. I really do. And I like Mkhitaryan. And I think he adds a lot even when he's not at his best. But neither player is the caliber of player that Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil is. And so I could not help but think, maybe they're going to go. Maybe they're not going to go. Maybe Ozil really did just have a back issue. It's a fine. But he's yep. got to use these guys. They are too talented to not be part of the the starting philosophy. And I, that's my opinion. But don't, don't, yep. don't you think we're at that point? We, 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 we're reaching that point. As, as I said earlier, we're creaking, right? But again, we, we, we for we know, it could have been a half-time substitution, Ramsey and Lacazette, just like it was versus Spurs, until Bellerin got injured. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah? We just don't know. It's, like, it's just too many variables to manage in this game. He chose Ozil to come on. Well, that, can, that, that surprised me. But maybe he said, you know what? You're fitter. I know the data. I know where you are. I kept seeing Ramsey on the bench, but he wasn't really warming up, if I remember correctly. And if Tim was here, he would, t- he would say so. But uh, in the bits I saw when substitutions were made, he was well wrapped up with his coat on, etc. So maybe they didn't. he was fit, but wasn't quite fit enough for this game, right? So he was on the bench. We don't know the full story. We're creaking as a squad at the moment, Elliot. We're creaking. And so I can't sit here and say to you, we can't use those players. I often feel, though, and I'm consistent about this, players get better when they don't play when we lose because then our memories come back and we remember their highest performance and we think, we can do with that. We can do with that. Ozil, I guarantee you, if Ozil didn't play and we lost this game, we'd all be saying, I know you're saying it anyway, but you'd be saying it with more vigour we could have done with Ozil and Ramsey today. And you'd included Ozil in the same way as you'd included Ramsey because he wouldn't have played. His memory of Leicester would have been fresh in your mind. We could have done with that sort of play in this game to run them backwards, and we didn't have it. When Ozil did come on, I felt he struggled slightly. I don't think it's a player that can come on and and speed up a game and add some intensity and impact from the bench. I think he's a player that needs on needs to be on from the first minute to dictate the pace of the game, understand the movements, understand where the pace is. He needs time to find his rhythm. And when you're a sub, you've got to find your rhythm in 20 seconds. Right? Yeah. And I'm not sure he's that player. I hate to use the E word, though. Um, effort. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't know that you need you know, time to find your effort. I mean, is that fair? I, you know, I, I'm trying to be really gentle and careful here, but this, this looked like a disinterested performance at times. Yeah. You know what? Um, he's, he's a five year Arsenal player and no one is sitting here saying that effort is one of his primary skills. Right. And so we know the player, don't we? We know the player. If he comes on in this game and that, that dummy works. We go in behind them, score. Everyone's going to say, oh, wow, well, that was so smooth. Genius, how, yeah. does he, mm-hmm. how does he see that behind him? Blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's the player that we know. He's mercurial, right? And when it works, it, 
it looks fantastic and when it doesn't we criticize and then we go back to the basics the fundamentals of work rate effort does he care and we're doing exactly what the germans did in the summer for the world cup when you win the mesut or he's a beautiful player german player of the year when you lose he's an easy target the german team did it the german media did it the german oh, nation did it clarify we're, we're not doing it in a racist spirit though Let's oh no absolutely, about that. no absolutely not yeah they they scapegoated him perfectly much like the media tried to scapegoat Raheem Sterling, mm-hmm. but England were just too good for that to happen, right? So, um, fully, anyway, shall yeah. we say? He's still taking the neck enough. But look, I get we don't we don't always this always doesn't have to boil down to Ramsey and Ozil discussion and debate. But I I will say that you know first of all I think Ramsey might have been the better choice than Ozil in this game with and that is fully with hindsight. Uh, I, I, I know. no, I agree. I agree. I think he has shown recently that he can come onto a game and work really quickly to change the dynamic and disrupt opposition. Meza Ozil is someone who's, who dictates rhythm, dictates play. He's much slower to get into a game. So if you're looking for impact from the bench, I may have gone, I would have gone Ramsey in this scenario. Um, but again, we don't know what the injury situation was with him and we don't know what Emery was trying to get out of Ozil. Is he trying to wake the beast is he trying to get him on board? He's decided that the Ramsey situation is finished. We don't know when that's going to be, January or the summer. Is he saying to Ozil, I'm going to trust you now. I need to wake you up because I need you over the next few weeks. And that was his way of showing trust. I don't know. But it's, to me, it's a man management situation. I'm afraid none of us really know the details behind that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Look, I, I think that it is definitely the case that with the number of games we have coming up, he's going to have to rotate his squad heavily. But you look at Mesut and you look at Aaron Ramsey, and whatever you think of them, their commitment, whether they're staying or going, whether Ozil deserved the wage he's on, whether you know it, there really are problems between him and the manager or not. At the end of the day, when I watch Alex Awobi out there and I see Ozil and Ramsey on the bench, it's hard. It's hard for me not to think, surely, at least one of them, can come on and make the difference. And I'm not trying to kill Iwobi, yeah. but it's not happening for him right now. And, you know, I, I would actually argue it's not happening for Mkhitaryan either. I, I'm i going to get slaughtered for this because he had the two, two the only two goals we scored today. And the first I, I one thought, was really well taken, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I thought, I thought Mkhitaryan was, of the two, was the better of the yes, two. Yes, no doubt. And, and he's been progressing now for a while. So he, you know, you know I, I keep saying that we're creaking. I think Iwobi had a real good purple patch a few weeks back. And he's now on the downslide of form. That's okay. You bring someone else in. The problem is the players we want to bring in are Ozil and Ramsey. And we're not sure about them. And we're not sure what the manager thinks about them. Right, more importantly, and that's the issue. We've got a situation where we potentially got a, an ego issue with Ozil, and potentially Ramsey, who's been a wonderful professional in his, in his last year, and he knows his situation. But again, he's got injured, and we're not sure about his fitness. And again, he's not starting games, and and then we might be thinking, do I want to rely on a player that potentially could be going out the door? Well, I would. Because we've got some games that we can't we can't afford to lose upcoming, right? Because the gap's starting to grow. I would. But, again, it's a man-amazing situation, which we're not aware of. I do agree with you about Iwobi, though. He just needs a couple of weeks to sit. You sit now, you miss four games, right? So that's the problem. We, need, we have to play him through this in part games. 
So we're going to have to share the games with these guys to make sure we get the intensity, the work rate, the creativity. We're going to have to share the game. Ozil, Ramsey, Mikatara, and Iwobi, they're all going to see minutes, I'd expect, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I, I think we'll, we'll find out soon enough what happens. But unfortunately, now coming off a loss, you know, more pressure on a team after you come off a loss to deliver something for the fans and what comes up but another derby in a cup that I'm sure in private Emery would tell you he wish he didn't have. Um, I, I will tell you that Tim Stillman tried to make the very sensible point on Twitter that uh, losing in uh, on penalties in this game could actually be the best outcome for Arsenal long-term to get rid of this competition, to not have the two-legged semifinal in January, to ease some of the fixture congestion that's coming up. And, of course, Twitter took that with the normal sort of circumspection and sensibility and understanding that they normally do, accusing him of being a uh, Spurs supporter, essentially, and all the the rest of it. So as idiotic as the the, um, reaction was, I, I guess his point is well taken, which is simply that this is not a competition we need in our life. Two semifinals in January for a trophy that even if we won it, uh, maybe I'm speaking for the minority of supporters, I genuinely don't care about this trophy at all. I think it's a total anachronism in, in modern football given the amount of fixtures that there are in the season now. But it's there and it's a derby and you cannot take a derby lightly in any competition. Even if we played Spurs in preseason, you'd have to take it somewhat seriously. So this is a tough one, Clive. And coming off the loss, you know, how do you think Emery will approach a midweek fixture at the start of the crunch holiday program against our, our rivals? This is a this is a catch twenty two, right? Yeah. Uh, this this competition I've never hey look, I, I like it but when we get knocked out I don't cry. Right. So um and I feel getting to the final last year, I, I think it actually was the death knell of Arsene Wenger. So I think he playing those extra games, the way City beat us and then beat us in the home game just after it when we were still down. That night that night after the final was the end for me. That was the night when the empty stadium we got slapped at home three nil. It was done. So the competition cost the man. And, it, and we need to move on anyway, but it definitely didn't help. So here we have a situation. We have the worst possible situation because we're going to, if we could have played a, a, a kids' team and got beat versus anybody else, then we could say, what a great development competition. We now move on. We focus on top four. But it's Spurs, right? And we beat Spurs the other week and we behaved like we won the World Cup. And we told everyone about it, and we all enjoyed it. And it's one of the best days at the Emirates, top three, definitely. And now they're coming back again, and they've got full motivation. They've got more players fit. They've got more defenders fit. I think, no, actually, I think they might have a few defensive issues. They've got more players fit in offensive areas, and they've got some motivation. They've got their team talk written for them because we did a 1,000 selfies after the game, right? So it's a concern. What do you do? I firmly believe, and I'm with brother Tim here, right? I firmly believe (laughs) that the most important thing for Arsenal Football Club is to re-establish itself at the top table of football. This cannot continue, right? We have to take every opportunity to focus on getting into the top four and back into the Champions League. I do not want to be sitting in minus three situations on a Thursday night playing carrier bag with 25,000 people in the stadium while I'm watching 
whatever you think of it, while watching our North London neighbours play Barcelona away in front of 80,000 people, 5,000 Roan supporters, and they are building a reputation about to open a new stadium. I want to fight our London neighbours. I want to make sure that we do not let them get away from us any further. If that means I might have to take a little bit of pain in the short term to get to the long-term goal, if I could guarantee it, I would. But when it comes down to it, I'm an Arsenal fan in my early 50s and I don't remember a time I've ever gone to a Spurs game and wanted them to beat us, right? And that's the dilemma. It's an easy tweet to say, how could any Arsenal fan want Spurs to beat us? No one does. But there's a separate question. Do we need this competition? Do you see a squad that's fresh, that's got depth, that's robust, that hasn't got key injury, hasn't got injuries around the corner? If you can say all those things, realistically, then I think you're almost fooling yourself. I know what Tim means. You think the penalties would be the would be the least painful one to accept. Because at least we would have put in a performance. We can't say we were beaten like we beat them and we were beaten in a lottery situation. That's what he's really saying. He's looking at the betterment and the long term view of the club. And I and, and that to me is most important. But it's very very hard to sit here on a Monday night we're recording the games on Wednesday come that game on Wednesday which I might be going to actually come that game on Wednesday I'm going to be like everybody else wanting desperately to beat them because that's football it grips you the emotion takes over and suddenly all that long-term sensible stuff that we're thinking and if Tim was going to game I tell you he'd be exactly the same right so um it's just take football takes over but with my brains on if my brain's on, I definitely understand this point. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I think the way I would want Emery to approach it is to put a team out there that, you know, can go 110% to try to win it, but isn't critical first-team players. You know, I mean, maybe you give Lacazette the start, right? Because he's he hasn't played a lot of football, and, it, you know, it's a chance for him to play in a big match and, you know, again, improve his sharpness. But... I wouldn't mind bringing in an Enkedia for this match, and I wouldn't mind, you know, bringing someone in in the midfield. I mean, Smith Rowe is injured. I'm just trying to think how you could balance it. I mean, Clive, there's got to be a way you could mix and match a little bit of the sort yeah. of Europa squad and first team squad. See, the irony, this is where I think he's backed himself into a weird corner. Because if you start to name the guys who aren't playing, you're like, oh, he could bring in Ozil, and he could bring in Ramsey, and he could, you know, he could bring in Lacazette. And he could, but those are the guys that you'd ideally like for these big games that are coming up after that. And Liverpool's just around the corner. So who does he put out there? Well, we've got Burnley at home, I believe, at the weekend. And so I'm not saying that they're going to be sitting in. They play Spurs, and I think they maybe had one shot on goal. So it's going to be a game where we definitely could do reversal or pickpockets, right? A team won't be pressing him. It's all about finding inches in the box. And so we have got the players now that have sat. Southampton was the game we, we were struggling for. We had have, we have offensive and defensive players came back from injury, coupled with suspension. So now we've got a few of those defensive players. I, th- I don't think Mustafi is massively injured, so he's available. Socrates will be available. I wouldn't play Koscielny. And so you've got a situation now where we've got more players back. We can move Shaka back into midfield. Colosinic, well, I'll tell you what. We got a situation at left back. Just when you need that guy, he disappears. I mean, when we when we saw the team sheet, my my heart dropped when I saw his name was on there, which tells you how well he's played recently. But also, 
why? Why now pick up an injury in training? He's just not robust enough. He's not on the pitch enough. He always disappears when you need him the most. All right, so we need him now. And we need him to play a lot of games. He's had a lot of time out at Arsenal. He needs to put some games on the pitch right now. And maybe we share games with Maitland-Niles as a left wing-back type role to make sure he stays fit for the majority of the Christmas period. So that's where we are. So we have got the players. And, and maybe, you know, I thought Guendouzi did well. But what he does, Elliot, sometimes when he's trying to create, he moves off the line a little bit wide to receive the ball, to to receive the ball in space. And then what he does, he, he comes back zigzag back onto the line where he should be in central area and then plays his passes from there. It's a good talent he has, right? But the problem is Southampton were cutting off his passing lanes and they were taking the ball and running through our midfield and beyond it. So when he splits wide to receive it, he's got to get it. If he doesn't get it, he's in out of position and his recovery legs are looking a little bit leggy at the moment. Again, he's 19. He needs to sit for a couple of games. Just sit. So, yeah, he's no one's favourite at the moment. But maybe Elneny plays in this game. He's leggy. He can do a similar role. He, he can't do it with the same vivaciousness. But this is a squad, right? We have to rotate in that situation. We can't play Willock in these games. He's too young. And so this is the option we have to have. And that's the balance. A Shaka Elneny, a partnership with, with Torreira doesn't excite many people. But at least it's experience. And we rest the young players and we don't overburden the 19-year-olds. We'll see what he does. What? None of us really know. This is going to be interesting for him. I think he's trying to develop an identity at Arsenal, a winning identity, a winning culture. I think he's going to go quite strong. I really do. I think he's going to try to go there and make sure that we establish ourselves back with, in London with Tottenham and Chelsea. And I don't think you can do that by giving the game away. But I, again, I totally understand Tim's point. He's looking at the longevity of Arsenal and the fact that we need to be back at the top table, getting those extra funds in, because otherwise we will not be able to replace the 30-year-olds we have in our squad with with top talent unless we break the self-sustainable model. And so therein lies the dilemma, and I'm not wish, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. I mean, here's <laughs> here's the conundrum, right? I mean, on the one hand, we, we really do need to to get back into the Champions League. I mean, that that is... That is the priority cool. for the club. I mean, it, because look, you, you look at what happened to Liverpool and how long they were in the wilderness. And, you know, we can't really afford to slip into that situation. Tim tweeted something, actually, and it's almost like Tim's on the podcast now. Arsenal have lots of attackers in their early 30s on high wages that need replacing soon. If we keep getting Europa League money, we'll be replacing them with Europa League players on Europa League salaries. It's really very important for Arsenal to get back in the CL. Thanks. Look, that, that is really the critical point. But here's where you have a conundrum. If you're Unai Emery and you play a strong team in this in this game and you beat Spurs and you knock them out of the cup and at the end of the season you find yourself fifth having lost in the semifinal of the Europa League to Chelsea or something like that, at least your fans can say, we beat the scum twice this season or potentially three times this season, you know, depending on what happens at, at Wembley. And that buys you a lot of goodwill. Just something as much as, ha-ha, we knocked Spurs out of a cup competition and stomped them in the Premier League at the Emirates. Like, that buys you a lot of goodwill. So there's pressure to you, do that. Yeah, go ahead. I'll give you another scenario, right? We lose this game. I'm not saying I want us to lose, but we lose this game, right? Spurs go in. Spurs have the extra fixtures in January. We catch them in the league. We finish fourth. 
they're outside the Champions League with a billion pound stadium to pay. It changes a decade of the futures of the club. It's a decade on the line. Absolutely. If Spurs are a Europa League team next season and we are a Champions League team and now they have to go in austerity and they lose Deli Alley and Pochettino goes to Madrid and you know so on and so forth. No, the the trajectories of the club are literally at stake here in terms of what happens this season. It's unfortunate. Emery doesn't deserve that. Emery deserves time and patience and the chance to come in and build a project. But he's been handed a squad that, thanks to the age profiles and where the salaries are, that kind of has to get back into the Champions League now. So it is a very difficult situation. And, you know, there's fan service. Playing a, a strong team and winning at home in front of the home fans in a cup and knocking out Spurs is great fan service. But, you know, what does it mean for the club long term? Now, look, you can play a strong team midweek beat Spurs, and also still be okay. It's not that by doing that you forfeit your season. But those couple of extra fixtures in January don't help, and the extra minutes on the legs going into the holiday program don't help. I just think he's got to get it right. And I'll be curious. Will Pochettino start Kane and Ali and Erickson? You know, players that he desperately needs himself in a relatively small team that plays a very aggressive, energetic, pressing style. It'll be very, very interesting. Obviously, I hope we win. What I'd love in an ideal world is... For us to play a, a rotated side and win that way. So, I mean, we will see what happens. Before we say goodbye, um, I think we should just touch on the fact that we drew Bate in the Europa League. I mean, any thoughts on that? I don't really, other than that, we'll take it. Seems yeah, fine to me. I think, do we beat him 6-0 and 4-2 last year in two games? So, I think I think we'll be fine. Yeah, the, the only comment I have about the Europa League draw is just that there were a couple of the bigger, in quotes, um, bigger teams that did draw each other. Hang on, I'm going to pull it up right here. So the ones that I think are helpful, uh, Lazio drawing Sevilla. You know, one of them is going to go out. Olympiacos and Dinamo Kiev. Be happy to see the back of Olympiacos in the tournament. Um, You know, again, none of these are Titans. Galatasaray, Benfica. So you look at it, and, you know, there are are a few fixtures there that maybe, just maybe, make it a little easier. Fenerbahce versus Zenit. Again, both teams that are, you know, have some Champions League pedigree in them. So, you know, I, I think yep. overall it's a good draw. Unfortunately, Chelsea get the easy draw as well with Malmo. Um, so it looks like th- they should have no trouble going through. The, they are really the only team we're, we're worried about in that competition. I think you would say not to suggest that we can't, you know, screw up against other teams. But that's that's the team we don't really want to see if we can avoid it. So, it's all about form. It's all about form, isn't it, mate? Form mm-hmm. next year compared to form now. We'll, we'll see where we are, but I'm hoping we get a couple of additions in the squad in January so when we play those games, we're in shape. Yeah, well, I would say, um, you know, we have a very, very interesting couple of weeks coming on. I, it is going to be so interesting. Two weeks from now, the season could look extraordinarily bright or very, very worrying. Uh, it's just incredible how much football there is to be played between now and then. We have to go to Anfield. We have a derby this week. It's coming up so fast that, you know, I mean, again, if we were to lose it, it's not the end of the world, but certainly won't have anybody feeling good and will be two losses consecutively. Something that you just kind of want to avoid in terms of this winning culture we're building. So lots of interesting things to discuss. We'll save it for the next time. Um, You know, I would say that losing at St. Mary's has easily become the worst Christmas tradition and hopefully one that we can uh, eliminate going forward. Maybe they'll get relegated. That would help. You can't lose to Southampton if you don't play them. That much I know. In any event, Clive's on Twitter at Clive BAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul. It's always easy. Write nasty things about Paul in the review. Um, for those of you who have signed up for our Patreon, we really do appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who haven't, we also appreciate you, obviously. Happy that we were able to give you the In the Spotlight episode on Ozil and Ramsey. Um, 
for free, obviously, in lieu of a more detailed carry bag podcast. And we hope you liked it. And if you did, you know, that's the kind of thing we're, we're putting up on Patreon all the time. And we have some new Patreon concepts coming up. So, you know, if you want to give it a try, now now's as good a time as any. But either way, we'll be back with more of this kind of stuff, if you like this kind of stuff, uh, after Arsenal 10, Spurs nil.